I wonder what comes to mind when you hear the words peace and joy. Maybe you think about your 1960s era wardrobe. You know, the headbands and the clothes, or maybe you just think about a, a peace sign from that era. Maybe when you hear the word peace, you think about a movie from the year 2000, and, and you think about Sandra Bullock and Miss Congeniality, and, and when she was asked, what's the most important thing society needs when she was in that beauty contest? And the answer was, because we know she was an undercover police detective, well, that would be harsher punishment for parole violators, Stan. And there's this awkward pause from the audience, and then she says, and world peace, with a big smile, and everybody breathes a sigh of relief that she got the right answer. Maybe when you hear the word peace, something more historical or more serious comes to mind. Maybe something that would be depicted as in, as in this historic photograph featuring US President, then U.S. President Jimmy Carter at the White House with Egyptian President Anwar Sadat and the Israeli Prime Minister Menachem Begin. They were celebrating in 1979 the brokering of a peace treaty between their two nations, between Egypt and Israel, that had been completed at Camp David. In fact, Anwar Sadat and Menachem Begin both received the Nobel Peace Prize in 1978 because of those efforts. Sadly, just a few years after this, President Sadat was assassinated by Islamic extremists in his country because they were angry about his dealings with Israel. And of course, we know that the Middle East continues to be a hot spot for political and religious and cultural tension. So maybe it's not the peace sign or, or world peace or a peace treaty, but Maybe it's something different for you that comes to mind when you think about peace. Maybe you're looking ahead to the holidays and you think, you know, peace for me would just be a Thanksgiving dinner where everybody just gets along, right? There's no conflict. So whatever peace is for you, I want you to think about that. And then the second word is joy. What do you think of when you hear the word joy? Well, maybe it's a smiley face. Because yellow is the color of sunshine, and, and sometimes when we just want to denote some happy, we just draw a little happy face. Maybe, if you're like me and you're a Grammy, a happy face doesn't look like this, but it might look like this. Look at that little face. This was in a text message to me this week, and I just couldn't resist sharing. Charlotte loves her bath time, and so there's that big smile. So maybe for you, happy isn't just a happy face but maybe happy is a happy place. Our daughter Lydia is an outdoors girl and she loves the Ozarks. She's always found looking for a new place to hike. So here's a photo of her in the Ozark Mountains. Your happy place may or may not be the mountains. Your happy place may be the beach where you just love to put your toes there in the ocean and, and just worship even as you see all the, the cadence of the, of the waves coming in and out. Your happy place may be someplace entirely different. But so whether happy is a happy face or a happy place, uh, what, is, what does joy denote for you? Happy place, happy face, um, a shopping trip. Maybe joy for you isn't really a place or a face at all. Maybe joy for you is something just more literal. When you hear the word joy, maybe you think, I'm a joy. And you think, well, I could have a little bit of happy any afternoon that I want it because I bought extra for Halloween candy at my house. So the reality is, ladies, that whatever image comes to mind as you hear the word peace or you hear the word joy, 
We know that the peace and joy offered by the world is fleeting. It's here today. It's, it's gone tomorrow. It's changed by circumstances. It's, it's gobbled up literally or figuratively. It's elusive. It changes as quickly as, as the weather or even the political climate as elections come and elections go. Vacations have to end and, and little toddlers grow up and candy bars get eaten and we just have the package left. Movies aren't real. Peace treaties are often broken. Human definitions and connotations or images of peace and joy are quite different, are very different from divine, eternal definitions. But peace and joy for the follower of Jesus Christ are permanent, eternal, unchanging. We can be unhappy in our circumstances on the outside and yet simultaneously filled with abiding peace and abiding joy on the, on the inside. Real peace and real joy cannot be manufactured by the world. They cannot be orchestrated by our human efforts. There's no recipe that we can run into our kitchen and whip up a little peace and joy. There's no drive-through that we can just whip our car into at the window and pick up a, a pound or two of peace and joy. Peace and joy are the fruit of the Holy Spirit. They are produced by the Holy Spirit who comes to abide in us when we commit our lives to Jesus Christ. Peace and joy became ours because of our identity in Jesus. Verse 5 in today's text says this, And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given to us. Because of God's saving, redeeming, justifying love, because of the loving sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ, you and I are not only set free from sin, justified, redeemed, and, and declared righteous in Christ, but we also have many benefits that get heaped upon us because of our identity in Christ. In Romans 5, in the lesson this week, in our text, we have unpacked some of those blessings granted to us in Christ. And that's going to be the topic of our lecture time this morning. I invite you to stand with me now in honor of God's holy word as we look for the blessings that flow to us because of our identity in Christ from the first 11 verses of chapter 5 in Romans. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us. Because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received 
reconciliation. Ladies, thank you for standing in honor of God's word. You may be seated. And would you just pray with me as we begin? Father God Almighty, we thank you for the new identity that we have because of Jesus Christ. Jesus, thank you for your your obedience to death on the cross and for the peace with God that 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 provides for us. We just thank you for the benefits that, that then flow to us, the benefits of peace and joy. And as we look at these elements in the text today, I just pray that you would give us a new and deeper and greater understanding of what peace and joy mean, what those words actually mean, and what they mean to us as women of God who seek to live in you and to live for you in this world. We praise you and we thank you in advance for what you are always so faithful to teach us. Amen. Well, Romans 5 begins with this one word, and that word is therefore. And as women of the word, we know that when we see the word therefore, we are to ask, what is it? Therefore, exactly. And so we say, what what is it therefore? So the word therefore always refers back to what we've just studied previously. So in, in, in essence, Paul is saying, well, in light of all that, now this. And so what is all that? What came before? And so in chapters 1 to 4, we have learned a lot so far. We've come a long way in Romans. In chapters 1 to 4, we very thoroughly covered sin. We, we learned that sin is godlessness and wickedness. We learned that godlessness doesn't just mean that you're an atheist. To be godless means to just disregard God, to just stiff-arm God, to just leave him completely out of the equation. We learned about sin, that all are guilty, that Gentiles and Jews alike are guilty, that older brothers and, and younger brothers and, and older sisters and younger sisters, that good people and bad people and essentially that we're all bad people are all guilty of sin. It was a sobering reality to realize that we deserve God's wrath, that God is just in all that he does, that God's anger is different than man's anger, that it's a holy and righteous anger. And then we learned the blessed news of salvation. We came to see that salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We are committing to memory our key verse from the book of Romans, and we just keep coming back to it. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone, everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. We, we keep coming back to that that our righteousness is by faith alone. We started talking about justification, that big churchy word, and we studied the life of Abraham, one of the, the first Jew called by God, and we looked to his example, and we went all the way back to the Old Testament in the book of Genesis, and we learned the truth that Abraham believed, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham's belief came before the law. It came before circumcision. And so we marvel and we celebrate that the same is true for us, that we are declared righteous by believing. And so now, in light of all that, because of all that, we can therefore be blessed by all these benefits that Paul is going to lay out for us in Romans chapter 5. Because of all that, therefore this. And so some of the results of our new identity in Christ, of being justified, first of all, is peace with God. If we now have peace with God... Because we are justified, 
that meant, it follows then, that we were at war with God before. We were enemies of God. That's who we were before Christ. A life of sin is not just a life of doing bad things and breaking the law or making poor choices or even a life of refusing to do the good things that we can do. A life of sin is a life of rebellion against God. A life of rebellion. And that life deserves the wrath of God. But our justification brings peace with God. Our, our position before God, our position going forward will never, ever change. We are His. That is the eternal reality. We have peace with God. We can, however, contrast peace with God to the, the peace of God, which can change according to our circumstances and our choices and, our, and our, the, the things that are happening around us. And that, of course, speaks to sanctification. And we're going to start studying that next week, and we'll spend three good weeks on sanctification. But the benefit of justification is peace with God. And that should prompt a profound sense of both gratefulness and such relief to us. We are no longer at war with God. Through Christ, we have peace with God. This is um, a photo of my husband Kevin and me with singer, songwriter, Grammy Award winner, and fellow West Virginian, Michael W. Smith. See, Michael was born in West Virginia just like me, and I'd like to say that we're just like that, but uh, I followed him from a distance. The first time I heard Michael W. Smith was before he was really anybody well-known. It was at a municipal auditorium where he was on tour with Amy Grant in Charleston, West Virginia. And all these years later, he has become quite famous, lots of wonderful hits. And so when I heard that he was coming to John Brown University for their 100th anniversary, I was so excited. And my hubby decided to not only buy tickets for me, but he decided, this cheap Scott that I'm married to, to splurge and buy the special seats that got us a seat down front. But he not only did that, he paid extra for a photo op before the concert. So we could have this meet and greet before the concert. He paid for access to someone important. And so that's where this picture came from. So I got to talk to Michael just as long as I could before they were ushering us away to tell him that I was from West Virginia and I had followed him for all these years and was so excited to have this picture. So my husband's generosity in buying and paying extra got us that access. And ladies, Jesus Christ through his blood paid for our access to God Almighty. The second benefit of our justification is access to God. Now, can you imagine... If Kevin had bought those tickets for me, and we'd been so excited to go, and I had counted down the days and was, and was so looking forward to it, and if Saturday night had come, or Friday night, or whatever it was, and I just said that afternoon, eh, I don't think I feel like going. Let's just, let's just get a pizza and stay home and watch TV. What? What? After we've paid for this, and you've been looking forward to this? You, you know, can you imagine how foolish it would have been to have that opportunity and to squander that great benefit to see Michael W. Smith if I just said, oh, let's just not go, I don't feel like it. But yet, we forfeit our access to, the, to God, the holy, righteous one, the creator of the universe, the, the king of glory, the lover of our souls. The days go by, and we just don't bother 
We don't come into his presence. The one who knows us best, knows everything about us and loves us most. In the table I sat in this morning, one of the women said with wonder, she said, it's just amazing to think that, that God loves us so much, that he would desire a relationship with us. And we, we compared and contrasted Christianity for a couple of minutes to all the other world religions where you have to work your way up to God and do things to try to earn his favor. And only Christianity has God coming to us, giving us this incredible access. Through Jesus, we can move beyond just having peace with God, just no longer not being God's enemy. We can have a relationship with him, a friendship. We can abide with God day by day and moment by moment. We have access. So the benefits of, of justification, because we're justified, we have peace with God, we have access to God, and we have hope of the glory of God. Verse 2 says that we rejoice in that hope. It's joy. It brings about joy to us. We have peace from our past, we have access in our present, and we have hope for our future. The word rejoice in your translation may be translated exalt or boast. So verse 2, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We exult in the hope of the glory of God. We boast in the hope of the glory of God. Chuck Swindoll describes this as joyful confidence. I love that definition of hope. Joyful confidence. We can praise God with confident, joyful hope. It's, it's not the hope that looks to the future and says, I hope my husband doesn't buy me something for Christmas that has to plug in. You know, that, that, that's sort of a, a worldly hope. And, you know, of course, you may be one of those women that is happy to get a can opener or a vacuum cleaner for Christmas. <laughs> but I always say, just don't get me anything that plugs in. But, but this kind of hope is, is more than just wishful thinking. This is joyful confidence. And this joyful confidence comes with implications for that day, when, when Jesus returns or calls us home, but also for this day. We have joyful confidence for this day. We can rejoice in the hope of the glory of God for our future. When we step out of time and into eternity, that when, when, when everything is made right and settled up at the end, and when, when we see him face to face, that time in the future when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, when this world passes away and, and we get to see him and we get to worship him face to face, we rejoice because we have hope for that day and that day in the future. We have that joyful confidence that that day will come when everything that's wrong will be made right, when evil will be gone and, and, and worship will remain. But we also rejoice because we have hope here in the present. We have hope of the glory of God for this day. And that means that we can rejoice even in the midst of our present challenges and our sufferings and the very hard things that this life brings. It's not that we enjoy trouble, and it's not that we go looking for trouble. It's not that we're so foolish as to look for ways, not look for ways to remedy our troubles. If there's a, a stop button that we can push to make it go away, we're going to find it and push it. We're not, we don't enjoy trouble, not at all. If there are treatments and solutions, we want to find those. And we pray for those. Uh, and we look for God to answer. You know, I'm reminded of the guy that was... There was a flood coming, and there was all this torrential rain. 
and, uh, and the rain was coming up, and, and the, the riverbank had, had gone above, and the, and the water's creeping up to his house, and a guy comes driving by with a, a big four-wheel drive truck, and the guy's standing on his porch watching the water come up, and the guy says, come on, and, and I'll rescue you. Get in my truck with me. And he said, no, I've prayed, and I'm trusting that God is going to provide. And the guy looks at him and drives on, and, and the water keeps coming, and the flood keeps rising, and Finally, the guy has to go up to the second floor of his house, and he's there hanging out the window, and, he, and he's watching the floodwaters come up onto the first into his house. And then a, a, a guy comes by in a boat, in a canoe, and says, come on, jump out of the window and into my boat. And the guy says, no, I'm, I'm praying for God to answer my prayers. I'm waiting. I'm trusting God to provide. And the guy looks at him and keeps paddling. And then finally, the water's coming up to his second floor and he climbs under the roof and he keeps praying for God to provide and here comes the guy with the helicopter and he lowers a rope and he says climb up and the guy says no I'm, I'm praying and I'm trusting that God is going to provide and, and then his house is, is completely covered with water and he drowns and he gets to heaven and he says God I prayed and I thought you would provide and God says I sent a truck and I sent a boat and I sent a helicopter and so sometimes when we are waiting for the answers, we need to be open to seeing that God works in very real and practical ways. And so sometimes in our suffering, we may be surprised and, and may be looking for God to provide in a way that we didn't expect it. So as we pray, we need to pray with an open mind and not a preconceived notion of how God should or will answer our prayers. But the point is that whatever challenges we face in this life, they need not defeat us. Our focus instead is on the confident hope in his glory, that his presence will sustain us, that we are defined by him and never ever by our circumstances. This is, this is hard truth, and, it, and it's a truth that even this week I've had to eat what I serve. Sometimes it's not the big, huge things that can rob us of peace and joy, but it's just those little irritations that can trip us up. And then I have to pump my head and say, oh, Lord, yes. I have to eat what I serve, and I have to learn it before I can teach it. It is possible, ladies, to be simultaneously unhappy in our circumstances, but yet at the same time filled with joy. And it's a process that we have to learn. And sometimes we learn it over and over and over again. And having learned it in one situation prepares us to apply it in the next situation. Life is our classroom. And here is the prog progression. Suffering comes into our lives. And suffering, we know, can take many, many forms. It may be the weather, and it may be a flood, but it may be a colicky baby. It may be a child with chickenpox. It may be COVID. It may be a flat tire. It may be a forgotten bill that comes with a $30 late fee. It may be a broken washing machine, a broken hip, a letter from the IRS. It may be a parent with dementia. You fill in the blank. Those are just a smattering of things that you and I have experienced. You know, you know what suffering is. We know that we are not exempt from suffering. Life, even for the Christian, is not like a game of Monopoly where you get a, a get-out-of-jail-free card or a get-out-of-suffering-free card. Jesus gave us the heads up in John 16, He said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. You will have trouble. Not you might have, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And he says we can have peace because he has overcome the world. 
Our suffering never has to define us. We know how our story ends. We have that hope, that joyful confidence that our story ends well. The suffering is not welcome. The suffering is not fun. We want it to stop. But we also know that suffering can serve a great purpose in our lives. That has been my reality, and that has been yours. Sometimes we can't see in the midst of it that every single woman in this room can look back to an event or a circumstance in her life and say, I never want to go through that again. I never want to walk through that hard thing again. But what I learned about God and the closeness that I drew to God and how God brought good from that hard thing, oh, I wouldn't trade that for anything. You've been there, haven't you? And I've been there. Paul says that our suffering leads to perseverance. Perseverance. And that can be defined as patient endurance. Because once we've learned it in one scenario, we're ready and we've sort of got that in our toolbox and we're ready to apply it to a new set of circumstances. We learn it, and, and then we apply it again. Th th this is more, ladies, than just grinning your teeth and bearing it. That's not the kind of perseverance we're talking about. And it's not wearing your suffering on your sleeve or out loud like it's some sort of equivalent of a, of a Christian Boy Scout badge. Look at me. Look what I've endured. No. Our, our suffering isn't some sort of Pharisee, older brother type of work where we earn God's favor or, or somehow compare ourselves to others and say, well, I, I've suffered more than you. It, it's not a competition here. We persevere because our focus is on what lies ahead of us. Our focus is on him. We have that joyful confidence. As we experience suffering and as we experience perseverance, then that perseverance develops character. The Greek word for character conveys the meaning of proving itself true. We know the people that work with metal or, 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 or precious metals or gold or whatever, that those things are tested by the fire. If, if someone holds up something and you think it's metal but it's really just plastic painted, you can put it in the fire and you're going to know immediately that it's going to melt. But if it's a good metal, it's going to survive the fire. And that's what the fire does for us. It proves our faith genuine. As we endure and persevere through suffering, our faith is proven real. We know it's real because we know that our old self would have just crumbled uh, under the pain of it all. But the new justified self has that joyful confidence because, because of the presence of Jesus Christ. We can have our suffering, develops perseverance and character, and character leads to hope, that joyful confidence yet again. We have a choice as we go through this cycle. We can sit down and become bitter and become angry and feel sorry for ourselves, or we can pluck out that bitter root as it talks about in Hebrews 12, 15. Are we going to choose the joy and choose the peace and choose to be better through it, or are we going to choose to be bitter? Bitter or better are the choices. And each time we go through the cycle and, and we go through the suffering and we develop the perseverance and the character and we cycle back to hope, we get stronger and we get, we get better and we get closer to him. We become it almost increasingly, it almost feels like we just become immune to the challenges of this world. We see that we respond differently today to a challenge or a struggle or suffering than we did when we were a baby Christian or certainly before we knew Jesus because our hope is in him. Increasingly, 
iteratively, gradually, we find ourselves through our suffering realizing that whether I'm happy or whether I'm sad is irrelevant. I will choose to rejoice. I can choose joy because I have peace with God. We learn through the classroom of life that it's possible to be simultaneously unhappy and yet filled with joy. Have you been there? Would you allow the Holy Spirit to take you there, to give you joy and peace, even in, especially in the midst of the suffering? Habakkuk said it well. I love this passage. He says in Habakkuk chapter 3, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. You know, sometimes joy is what you choose. Sometimes it's an action and a choice. It's not just a feeling or an emotion. We can choose joy. We can choose to rejoice. We can choose to praise God even in, especially in our suffering. We might add our own modern version of this. We, we might add our own life experience. Though the baby did not sleep through the night, though my candidate didn't win the election, though my hubby didn't get the promotion, though I'm facing surgery, though the freezer went out, though the tires need replaced, though the kids didn't call me, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will rejoice in God my Savior. But it's not a, a, a big act. It's not an Academy Award-winning performance. It's not some Christian mask that we put on just to pretend to be joyful when suffering. It's a process that we learn, and then we have to relearn it, and we practice it. And each time we get stronger, and we get more and more better at it. But it's only possible because of God. Paul tells us how it's possible in verse 5. Hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. It is God's love. It is God's spirit in us that makes that kind of hope possible, makes it a reality. God has poured out his love, and guess what? He keeps pouring. He just keeps on pouring until we're all wet and the people around us are all wet because we are rejoicing even in the suffering, we have that peace and joy. We rely on that love not only to justify us for our salvation, but to sustain us as we work out our salvation and we walk with him and abide in him going forward. The more we rely on his love and not our own strength, I think just the more natural those responses to suffering become. We lean onto his love. We trust his spirit to lead us and to guide us and to teach us. We can have hope not only for that day, but for this day and for every day. We can have that joyful confidence, that divine hope through all the ups and downs that life brings to us. The woman of God has peace and she has joy. Because she has been justified, her new identity is in Jesus Christ. And because of that, she has those glorious benefits peace with God, access to God, and hope of the glory of God for that day, but also for this day. Peace and joy for the woman of God are so much more, 
so much deeper and wider and richer and sweeter than what we could possibly have imagined when we first came into a relationship with Jesus. Peace is more than the absence of conflict. It's more than relationships between families and neighbors and nations. It's more than a family reunion where nobody has an argument. Ultimate peace is peace with God. Consciously or unconsciously, I think it's really the longing of every human heart. And it can only be found in Jesus Christ. He tells us in John 14, 6 that he is the way and he is the truth and he is the life. Our sin separates us from God, puts us at war with God, but through Jesus we have peace with God. Our passage today tells us we have been justified through faith and we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And the result of having peace with God is certainly eternal security for the future, the peace that provides salvation. But that peace also brings benefits to the woman of God in the present, in this life. It brings joy. It brings hope. Does peace, do peace and joy describe your circumstances? Do peace and joy describe your life? And if not, it might indicate that you've shifted your eyes off Jesus and onto your circumstances. You've taken them off of your Lord. Because of Jesus, we can trade up. You know, when you trade with God, you always trade up. You give him the worry, you give him the anxiety, and in its place, you receive peace. Because of the peace with God, we can have the peace of God. That's the truth of Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Don't be anxious. Don't worry about anything. You, have the, you can have this peace with God. Present it to him. Give it to him. And, and then you get this peace that transcends all understanding. This peace that, that, that makes no sense to the world. This kind of blow your, blows your mind peace. How is that possible? Only with God that we can be peaceful in the midst of the storm. It's like we're in the eye of that storm with the storm raging, and we can just have that peace because our focus and our countenance is on God Almighty. It comes from abiding with him. It, it, it can only come from him. Jesus told us, you're going to have trouble in this world. And yet, sometimes it catches us off guard. We find ourselves saying, why? Why, God? But, but Jesus told us that there would be trouble in this world. But that trouble does not mean that we have to respond with a troubled spirit. Peace with God allows us to face trouble with peace because we face trouble with him. We are not alone. Sometimes God does calm that storm. Sometimes he calms the believer in the midst of the storm. But either way, we don't have to have a troubled heart when trouble comes. Our trust in him for eternity, if we're trusting him with our destiny for all of eternity, then surely we can trust him with our now. Because when we step into eternity, everything that happened on this, in this world, this entire life, it's sort of like the, a pin dot on the whole timeline of eternity. Are you and I appropriating his peace and his joy for the troubles that we face today. Do you have that joyful confidence that whatever you face, you're not walking through it alone? The enemy wants to whisper in our ear and tell us that we're alone. He wants to prey on our loneliness. He whispers, no one understands and no one cares, and it's a lie. We are not alone. Jesus loves us. Jesus cares for us. Jesus longs for a relationship with you. He loves you so much that he died for you even while you were a sinner. And so if he died for you, you can live for him. And you don't just have to live a marginalized, less than life. 
You can live a life characterized by peace and joy because of the abiding, continual, eternal presence of the Holy Spirit of God living in you. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we love you. How grateful we are for your presence in our lives. How grateful we are for our new identity that defines us as women of God because of the person of Jesus Christ. We thank you that we have peace with you because of the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, oh God, let that peace define us, not our circumstances, not the challenges or the troubles of this world. God, forgive us for the times that we've taken our eyes off you, that we have allowed the world to rob us of peace and joy. Our peace with you, our peace with you because of Jesus can give us your continual peace, the peace of God as we walk through the challenging circumstances that this world brings. Lord, let us be living, breathing examples of what a woman of God transformed by the Spirit of God looks like. Let your Holy Spirit reign in our lives. Let us be women of peace and women of joy because of your presence, because we have that eternal hope for glory, because we choose to abide in you. God, as circumstances and suffering and challenges come, let us keep our eyes on you and let your presence bring us peace and bring us joy and bring us hope because of who you are. We love you and we praise you and we pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, your son, God, and our Savior. Amen.